Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 tonight. Uh, we'll be in predominantly in Luke chapter 8, but if time permits, we'll be in Luke chapter 19. But also, once again, if you're here visiting with us, uh, do come back whenever the pastor's back. Don't hold me uh, accountable for what I'm going to say tonight. So um, it's his fault for going on vacation. Um, but we'll be in Luke chapter 8 tonight, and if you're there, you can remain seated because uh, we're going to read a lot, and I believe that nothing can speak more for the Word of God other than the Word of God. So remain seated tonight, if you would. In Luke chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse 26, but I want to give you some background to what's happening here in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus and his 12 disciples are going out into the countryside, and they're spreading what is called in verse 1, glad tidings. Now, I believe that could very well mean the gospel. And what's going to happen in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is going to take his disciples and they're going to go throughout the countryside, spreading the gospel, healing people, checking up on people, and just being a, a loving Savior, the loving Savior that we know. So in verse 26, we'll pick up a very familiar story, a very familiar passage of scripture in the Bible. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. As a matter of fact, it's about six miles from the Sea of Galilee. And when he went forth to land there, met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. And with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech, ye thee, uh, beseech thee, torment me not, for he, had, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters. And he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Something funny is happening here in verse uh, 30. And it may not seem funny to you, but here in just a second I'll explain what I mean. And Jesus asked him, saying, what is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. Verse 31 says, And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Now, I don't often use my imagination whenever I read the Bible because I don't have much of an imagination. But I did kind of use my imagination with this particular verse. Um, I, I like to picture Christ standing there and he's talking to this, who we know as the demoniac of Gadara. And he's talking to him, and he's asking him, asking him a bunch of questions, and the, the demoniac automatically knows something's about to go down because there's a shuffling off in the distance, no doubt, and the demoniac knows that he's about to be plunged, or they're about to be plunged into the deep. And I can just see Jesus' eyes locking eyes with the demoniac, and the demoniac is watching Jesus' eyes, and he's following his eyes, and he's seeing him look over to the right where they hear some squealing, perhaps. And I believe that the demoniac was sensing that he was about to uh, be purged of all these demons, and they were going to go into uh, probably some animals, and that's exactly what's going to happen in verse 32. And there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. Verse 34 says, when they, that had fed, when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, 
sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it means to the believer. I pray tonight, Father, that I won't say what shouldn't be said, Father, that I'll, I'll say what should be said, and that hearts will be convicted, will be stirred to do more, Lord, and I, I pray that you'll be glorified through the message tonight, for it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. What we read here is a very familiar passage of scripture. We're, we're pretty familiar, I think, if you've been around church long enough, you've been uh, aware of the demoniac of Gadara, you understand what's at stake here, you know what's going on. But tonight, I, I want to look at a, a little bit different perspective of these passages of scripture from Luke chapter 8. We're actually going to read a little bit more here in just a minute, but uh, with it being Christmas time, uh, the Lord put on my heart a message in regards to Christmas. Um, this time of year, for most people who celebrate Christmas, this is a, a pretty joyous time. And Christmas really is only five days away. It's hard to believe that this year has gone by this quickly. But with Christmas being five days away, husbands, it's probably time to start thinking about what you want to buy your wives for Christmas. I'm not saying rush out and do anything crash yet, but it's probably time to start thinking about what you want to get your wives. And I'm sure by now the wives have, since September, completed all of their shopping for their husbands. And they're going to be these magnificent presents under the tree. And um, I'm really looking forward to mine for sure. But I, I know this, most likely, though, in all seriousness, shopping is complete for Christmas, most likely. Christmas time is supposed to be a joyous time. For most people, we look forward to Christmas. Um, but I have to say this, that's not the case for everyone. And it could be any number of reasons why you may not be looking forward to Christmas. Usually this time of year, it's darker outside for longer. The temperatures are colder. The, the sky is not as blue as it normally is because it's cloudy. Maybe tonight there are financial issues in, in your life and, in which you're possibly struggling to buy Christmas presents. Maybe Christmas time doesn't have the same feel that it used to have. I know that I'm 43 now, and I know that in my younger years, I used to look forward to Christmas because of the presents. I think that was the case for most of us when we were younger. Uh, matter of fact, some of the happiest times that I can remember come from Christmas time. I'll never forget, it was the Christmas of 1987, and I had just turned seven a couple of months prior, and it was time to start learning how to drive. Tricycle, that is. And uh, Christmas time was rolling around, and it's kind of hard to hide a tricycle in front of a Christmas tree. Well, I woke up that morning, and sure enough, there was a tricycle underneath the tree, or at least beside the tree. It wouldn't fit underneath the tree, but I saw it, and I was ecstatic, uh, and I still remember that. That was, I don't know how many, I don't do math, 36 years ago. Um, so that was a joyous time, but then again in 1989, I had probably one of the happiest and at the same time saddest instances around Christmas in my life, and what happened was my mom was working a full-time job, a part-time job, and a seasonal job just to make ends meet. And she's in the nursery tonight, so I don't know if I've told her this story very often, but I've told a lot of other people. So if you've heard it, I apologize, but I, I found it fitting for, for tonight's message. But, and so we end up uh, struggling to make ends meet. And that Christmas, I had, I don't even remember how many presents I had under the Christmas tree. I had a trampoline out in the yard with a big bow on it. I had a remote control car. I had a uh, blue jean jacket, and I had a, a, a few other smaller things. But needless to say, I mean, a trampoline, if I remember correctly, in 1989, a trampoline was $275. Now, for me, even in 2023, that's a lot of money. So I can't imagine what that purchasing power would be now. 
compared to 1989, but I just remember very clearly being super excited and marveling at the same time that my mom, who worked so hard, was able to buy something like that for me, knowing full well the struggles that we had financially. And I would find out later that day that my mom had a close friend uh, who would actually purchase the trampoline and purchase the remote control car. And my mom would get me a few of the smaller items and things like that. And I'll never forget saying, saying this to her. I, I told my mom, I said, had it not been for Bert, I wouldn't have had a very good Christmas at all. Now, I was nine years old. Yes, that was a jerk thing to say. I have since repented of that. But it dawned on me that the, the most joyous times and the, and the saddest times usually occur around Christmas. And uh, several years later, with that heavy on my mind, I would, as a college student, go overboard and buying my mom Christmas presents. I don't know if she'll remember this, but I bought her one of those big swings that had a canopy on it that you would just rock back and forth from Walmart. I want to say it was like $200. But I always felt like I had to make it up to my mom. But um, I, I noticed, though, whenever you're younger, our memories usually revolve around getting presents, and, and understandably so. The older we get the less enthusiastic we are about presents. I, at least me, maybe you are still super excited about getting presents in your older age, but usually I get what I want throughout the, throughout the year, so before Christmas, I already have what I want. But that's, that's not the case for everyone tonight, but I don't want to just talk about presents tonight. I don't want to talk about Christmas presents or things that you might find under a tree that you might typically say during Christmas message. You know, tonight I want to look at something a little bit different. I want to look at another type of presence tonight, and that's the presence of Christ. And that's the name of the message tonight. Notice presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, of Christ. Without his presence tonight, there can be no presence. In other words, without his presence in our lives, there can be no gifts. So I want to look at his presence in the Bible tonight and what his presence would bring to people in the Bible and what it could do for us in our lives. The very first instance of Christ's presence that I want to look at tonight is, in fact, the demoniac of Gadara. If you would, look in verse 27 again. And when he went forth to land there, I'm sorry, when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. Now, we know him as the demoniac of Gadara, and, and Jesus asked him in a couple of verses, what is your name? And the guy responds with legion. Now, if you know Roman history or any sort of history like that, a legion was typically comprised of 6,000 soldiers. So needless to say, the demoniac of Gadara had a lot of vexation. He had a lot of uh, trouble. He had a lot of issues in his life. And he had been possessed for a really long time, apparently. Um, and for, for some reason, he had been so possessed that he wouldn't wear clothes and that he would run without clothes through the tomb back and forth. He didn't even have a house. And keep in mind, this guy had to be known by the people in the country of the Gadarenes. He had to be known in Gadara. They had to know him as the crazy person. So that's going to come in handy here in just a minute. But in verses 26 through 29, we see this great affliction that we just read about. But by the end of verse 35... Something amazing is beginning to happen. Things begin to change for him. How could it be that a man with 6,000 demons, possessed with 6,000 demons, can go from running naked through the tombs 
to sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And that is the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ completely changed the demoniac of Gadara. He went from a crazy person that every townsperson had to know to a person who every townsperson wanted to get to know, or at least wanted to get to know how he came to be where he was. In just 10 verses, we see a complete change in this person's life. So, and I, I know that we all probably come from a town where we have some crazy people, people who do things that we look at that kind of like, what's wrong with this person? And I, I suspect that the demonic, demoniac of Gadara was in the same, in the same realm. But I, I, want to th- I want you guys to think about this tonight. The presence of Christ is the greatest of all presents that we can have, at least one of them. The presence of Christ is one of the greatest presents that we can have in, in our lives. But also think about this. The presence of Christ led to a gift for the demoniac. And that gift was sanity. If you think about this for a second, we oftentimes overuse the term insane. Quite often we take that, that word out of context and we say that person's insane when they're probably not. They're just overwhelmed. And in this situation, no doubt the demoniac was, was more than overwhelmed. I mean, he was overwhelmed with at least 6,000 demons. But the gift of sanity was provided to the demoniac that day. And I believe that we can take some lessons from the demoniac. If we enter into his presence and we abide continually, we too can have a feeling of not being overwhelmed. Because I know uh, juggling so many things in, in, in my life between the ministries of the church and family and things like that, I can get to that point in my life where I feel completely overwhelmed as well. I don't know that I'm insane, but I do know that if you are insane, and I believe the demoniac was, Christ can bring sanity. But I also know more specifically that if you're overwhelmed tonight, Christ can bring the gift of sanity, and he can do it through his presence. And I believe the demoniac shows us that. We can all have that gift of sanity if we're in his presence. In verse 35, we see that he was determined to be near Christ. If you'll notice that at the end of the scripture we just read, the demoniac was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's a position that the disciples would take. So when Christ changed the demoniac with his presence, the demoniac wanted to sit at the feet of the Savior. And amazingly, whenever they, all the people who saw the, the, the swine disappear into the, into the water and get choked out, they ran him off. They ran Jesus off, and we'll get to that in just a minute as well. But amazingly, when they came back, they wanted to know a little bit more about who this person was who made this man sit down and be in his right mind. Notice how close the demoniac was and how much of a presence that he was influenced by Christ. Also think about this tonight. The presence of evil, because that's what we're dealing with here. The presence of evil was overcome by the presence of Christ. And in a dark world tonight, we all could use Christ's presence. If we are seeking to have the darkness in our life overturned, it's only going to be overturned by the presence of Christ. I'm so thankful for that. There's no greater present. But I I do want you to think about this. The demoniac wasn't the only one in the presence of Christ in Luke chapter 8. If you would, you're already in Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 40. Look at verse 40. 
we're going to see someone else who comes into the presence of the Savior. Verse 40 says, and it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. Just in the previous couple of verses, they ran Jesus out of town. Everybody was scared. you got to understand, they had never encountered anything like this before. They knew that the demoniac was insane. Anybody who does anything like that is insane. So they ran him out of town. But word eventually got out. Hey, the demoniac came into the presence of this guy, this Jesus person. And that once he comes back, because he does come back, once he comes back, the people want to hear, hey, how did this happen? Who was this person who took this man who had 6,000 demons in his body, and how did, how did he cleanse him? We need to know. So verse 40 tells that. They were all waiting for him. Verse 41, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet. Notice that again. Jairus, a ruler of a synagogue, falling down at Jesus' feet. Once again, a position that the disciples would take whenever they wanted to learn from Christ. Jairus had heard, and he knew this was a good position to be in at the feet of Jesus Christ. And he besought him that he would come into his house. And here's a really sad portion of Scripture, verse 42. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. By this time... Everybody knew that Jesus was back, and everybody was looking forward to hearing the story. How'd you do it, Jesus? This is an amazing account, and also a sad account of a girl who, by all accounts, is about to die. So I want you to see in verse 44, uh, or verse 43, something else happens. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Think about this in verse 43. Luke, by all accounts, was a physician also. So Luke, if anybody, Luke would know how difficult this issue of blood was for this woman. She had spent so long looking for a cure and spent probably all of her money to be healed of her infirmity. So this is an exciting story in the middle of something that's really sad. Verse 4 says, she came behind him. And touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive the virtue is gone out of me. And verse 47 says, And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared unto him, uh, unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately <laughs> verse 48 says and she and he said unto her daughter be of good comfort thy faith had made thee whole go in peace the second person that i want to see who encountered the presence of christ is the woman who touched his garment the woman who touched his garment now jesus there in gadara had done a miraculous thing he had healed the demoniac somebody who everybody had to know. They were scared to death. They ran him off. He's like, well, I've still got work to do. So he comes back. And he encounters first a guy named Jairus whose daughter is dying. He'd already heard that this Jesus person can heal. Maybe he can heal my daughter. But before Jesus can even get to Jairus' daughter, we see a woman who also had heard of someone who had been in the presence of Christ. 
he, this person, this lady, had spent all of her, her, her money trying to get well. She came into the presence of Christ, and she too is going to be changed forever by that. So look at verse 43 again, if you would. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. So she obviously had to have a lot of, of issues and, and, and consistent bleeding. And she had spent all of her money, and she would end up in the presence of Christ and forever be changed. And I, I, whenever I was probably 28 or 29, I, I'll never forget, Braden was sick. And I think I was telling somebody this story the other day, but Braden was very, very sick. He ended up having what we would later find out was mycoplasma pneumonia, but he was about four, maybe five years old, and he was running over 104 fever, and his body was literally red, like red like a, uh, like a Christmas ornament. And you could feel the heat right above his body, probably a foot, maybe 14 inches. And I was scared to death because he was my firstborn. Kaylee was relatively young, maybe three years old at the time, and she hadn't encountered that type of sickness yet. But with him being my firstborn and being extremely sick, I was panicking. And he was even having little febrile seizures, and he was bubbling at the mouth, and he would cough all throughout the night, and I would wake up, and I'd be lying right beside him on the floor, a very uncomfortable floor, but he would cough, and I would wake up, and I would hand him a bottle of Sprite that had a straw in it. And he would suck on the straw, and then he would go back to sleep. Maybe 10 minutes later, he'd wake up, he'd cough again. And we did this probably for a good solid 48 hours. And, I mean, I really was. I was scared to death. It was so bad that I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to take him to the ER. We'd already called uh, the nurse, uh, at uh, a nurse or two at least in two different areas, just asking for advice. What are we supposed to do? My child does not seem to be doing well. And I'll tell you this right now, if you're a parent, you know exactly where I'm going with this. I would move earth. I would move anything. I would do whatever I needed to do to get my son well. So I know full well the physical um, limitations that sickness brings. And I know that this woman who had been bleeding for at least 12 years, I know that she was willing to do anything to get well also. And I can't help but to think of this woman that whenever she came into the presence of our Savior, that she, uh, her, her life would radically change. Now, obviously, Braden turned out relatively okay. He's still here with us today. But um, I, was, I was a nervous wreck. And I do know this also, even greater than the physical healing that we need today, because a lot of us, I mean, my neck, my back, I've got a lot of issues as well, and I know we all do, but even greater than the physical healing that we need today, there's a spiritual healing that's needed as well. And I can promise you this, because I've experienced the power of God in my life. If you come into the presence of the Lord, he can also change your life, just like he did the demoniac of Gadara, and just like he did the woman who touched his garment. The woman had spent all she had materialistically, but it wasn't until she came into the presence of the Savior that she was made whole. Notice in verse 48, his presence was sufficient in her life, but his presence did lead to the gift of healing. And she was not whole, and she was made whole by the presence of Christ. And, and what a rejoiceful thing that we can have in our lives tonight. But also notice this, the presence of sickness in her life was overcome by the presence of the great physician. And I, I, I really do. I don't just read these stories and think, oh, that's pretty cool. I, these stories happened. 
And they happened and they would radically change the lives of at least the demoniac of Gadara and this lady who's not named who touched his garment. But I want you to notice another person in the Bible tonight whose life would forever be changed by the presence of Christ. Look, you're in Luke chapter 8 still. Look in Luke chapter 8, verse 49. Verse 49 says, While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. So notice what happened right here. First, Jesus encounters the demoniac around around Gadara, which is about six miles from the Sea of Galilee. He encounters the demoniac. He heals him. What a miraculous thing. And he's, he's forced to flee because of what has happened. But he comes back, and pretty soon people know, okay, this guy's not scary. He has the power to heal. His presence has the power to radically change someone's life. So they want to hear more. Jairus finds out, he comes, and he falls down at Christ's feet also. Once again, a position that the disciples would be at. And he tells his spill to Jesus, and Jesus is feeling sympathetic, no doubt about it. But then there's also a woman amongst the throng of people who were there who also is sick. And she knows, just like Jairus knows, that there's a man who can heal. There's a man whose presence can forever change your life. So she touches his garment because she's probably thinking, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The only thing I can think of right now is to reach out and touch the very first thing that I can see or I can get my hands on. I can't get an audience with with this guy, but at least I can touch something of his and forever be changed. And, of course, she was scared to death, rightfully so. Once again, to have an issue of blood for 12 years and then to be miraculously healed would scare anyone. So there's a situation here where he encounters the third person. In, in Luke chapter 49, we see the daughter is dead, so pretty much hope's all given up, right? Verse 50 says, But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, But he said, weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. (laughs) Look at verse 53. Look at the audacity of these people. Even the disciples should know better than this. Verse 53, and they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Once again, I use my imagination with these, these scriptures tonight. I have no doubt, in my mind at least, that Jesus has his arms crossed. And as they're laughing, he's just like, you know, probably, I don't know if he did this, but maybe making a face back at them, I don't know. But Jesus is like, are you guys serious? Have you not been with me this whole time? You 12 disciples, well, technically there are only three at this particular moment. But his three closest disciples had to have been present with some of these healings and miraculous things. I mean, Peter walked on water. So they're laughing at him. They're, Look, you might be able to walk on water. You might be able to do this. You might be able to turn, you know, water into water. You might be able to do all these things. But to bring somebody back from the dead, nah, can't happen, Jesus. I know you think you're something, but you really can't do that. So they laughed at him. And verse 54 says, and he put them all out. All right, y'all done laughing. I'm sick of looking at your faces. I love y'all, but your faces are annoying me. Get out. I don't think that's not in the Bible. I just put that in there. But he tells them all, get out of there. And I think he did it because he's like, all right, I got work to do, and y'all are getting in the way, so get out. Verse 54 shows us that. Verse uh, 54 says, and he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, maid, arise. With two simple words. 
when all hope was lost, and then in an instant, this young girl who was dead, by all accounts, everybody knew she was dead. But in a short amount of time, with two words, the presence of Christ would forever change the trajectory of this young girl. And if that's not important tonight, I don't know what is, but the presence of Christ will forever change the believer. And it will forever change the unbeliever if you'll just let it. So think about that tonight. While he was on his way, he was interrupted. This girl was dead. And I'm sure Jairus, if he's like me, he's beside himself. Like once he finds out his daughter's alive, he's like, this is a miracle. So I would say that it wasn't just Jairus' daughter that would encounter Christ and have come into the presence of Christ and the power uh, and, and the love and the, and the ability to give life. I think Jairus' parents probably were like, I'll follow this man anywhere. He really is who he says he is. And I have to ask you tonight, bearing in mind that Christ can give us sanity, bearing in mind that Christ can give us, uh, make us whole again, bearing in mind that Christ with this daughter can give us life, I have to ask, if, if those parents were willing to follow him, why are we not willing to follow him? We should be following him because he has the power to give life. So notice in the, in the daughter of Jairus, Christ's presence was enough to overcome death. So the presence of death was overcome with the presence of life and that life through Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that Jesus came to give us life and he came to give it more abundantly. So you can have life tonight. And I'm not just talking about we're all here so we all have life, but I mean something deeper, something more meaningful. And what we see in Scripture is Christ giving life to Jairus' daughter. And I can't imagine what it was like then, and I can't imagine who, uh, who would uh, be able to ignore such a miraculous thing that could happen in someone's life. And we're, we're not following, I believe, Christ like we should be tonight. We're not willing to lay aside trivial things. We're not willing to let Christ transform our lives. We're not willing to let his presence have the preeminence in our lives, and I'm chief among you. I take a lot of things for granted. I take for granted that I have life. I take for granted that I have life more abundantly through Christ. I take for granted whenever I get overwhelmed that there's a Savior who's waiting for me just to come to him, just to sup, just to sit at his feet, just to take in what he can do for us because he can change your life. If he can get rid of 6,000 demons in a person's life, he can get rid of that at least one or two that all of y'all have. So I'm just kidding. I've, I probably got some too. No, the believer can't be infiltrated with, with demons. But, but in a serious note, on a serious note, Christ's presence can change anybody. And it's not just a select, a select few. He came, he came to seek and save that which was lost. And we'll, we'll notice that here in just a minute. And, of course, we've only looked at three tonight. We're going to look at four, but we've only looked at three tonight. I didn't go back and count all of, all of these uh, instances of healings in the Bible. But I do know that we could have talked about any number of these people. But we have talked about the demoniac of Gadara. We've talked about the woman who touched his garment. We've talked about Jairus' daughter. But there's one more person that I want to look at tonight to really drive this home that probably brings this closer to our lives than anything else. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. You're in Luke 
chapter eight, ver, uh, chapter eight right now. In Luke chapter nineteen, another very familiar story. And keep in mind, all throughout the Old Testament, anyone who would come into the presence of Christ would forever be changed, forever be changed. And a lot of, in a lot of these situations, I think in all, really probably almost all situations, what we see is when these people come into contact with Jesus, yes, they have physical maladies, yes, they're sick, no, they're not doing okay. They get healed of their physical infirmities, but more importantly, spiritually speaking, they're put on the right track as well. It's highly likely that these people, when they encounter Christ and come into the presence of Christ, they're in heaven right now. And so in Luke chapter 19, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. All right, so right away in Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus in Gadara, which is about six miles from the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know how much time has elapsed between the demoniac of Gadara, the woman who touched his garment, and Jairus' family and his daughter. I don't know how much time has elapsed between those three instances in the Bible and this particular instance where he's in Jericho. But he's about to encounter somebody else whose life will definitely change, and the Bible tells us for sure that his life changes. But before we read verses 2 through 10, I want to say this. Gadara, the distance between Gadara and Jericho is about 85 miles. So, Needless to say, no matter how long it was, Jesus traveled a lot. And Jesus would go to and fro with his presence changing people. 85 miles, I don't even like to drive 85 miles, much less walk. Because that's all they did in those days was walk. So in verse number 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the, was, was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich everybody's favorite type of person, probably a government official, definitely a tax collector. So you kind of already know, if you don't know anything about Zacchaeus, you know exactly if he's a tax collector, he's not very well liked. And he's rich too, there's a reason why he's rich. Verse number three says, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. Once again, no doubt, even 85 miles away, 2,000, 30 years or so ago, word got out, this Jesus is something. And he can, he can take your life when it's upside down and put it in the right place. But you've got to be in his presence, and Zacchaeus knew it. So look at verse number 3. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press, uh, for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, and half my goods, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation. I restore him fourfold. What we're seeing in this situation is, once again, word's gotten out. Zacchaeus knows that Christ can change his life. And Zacchaeus is overcome with remorse and guilt. He knew the things that he was doing was wrong. And he said, Jesus, I know that I've made mistakes. Understand, please don't send me to a swine, a herd of swine. Please don't do anything cruel to me. I've made a mistake. I've messed up. That's called remorse. And so something's happening here. Repentance is about to be at play. He knows that he's messed up. 
He knows that Christ has the power of his, in his presence to change Zacchaeus' life forever. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And the reason I know that is because in verse 9, after Zacchaeus has repented, after Zacchaeus has shown remorse, in verse number 9 we see, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he is also a son of Abraham. <laughs> Notice verse number 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You see, Zacchaeus, much like us, knew that he was having problems in his life, knew that he was in sin. And whenever he encountered Jesus, when he heard that Jesus was coming, he just wanted to be in his presence. So much so that he would climb a tree. Now, a sycamore tree wasn't very tall, as I understand it, back in those days. It would have really long branches. So I'm not really sure how far up Zacchaeus was, but apparently it was short. But he was so enthralled with the idea that Jesus was coming his way that he would put himself in danger just to be in the presence of Christ, this person who can change lives. And notice, because he's in his presence and he knows the power that Christ has, Zacchaeus begins to be remorseful. Lord, I know that I've stolen from people. I've falsely accused them. I've probably, he's probably said that they didn't pay their taxes like they should have. So he said, Lord, because I've messed up so much, I'm going to give back at least four times as much as I've taken. Because, God, none of this matters in, in the scheme of eternity. I only want to be right with you. I only want to be in the presence of you. And notice the conviction there. So only Christ can bring about that kind of change. Notice this, the presence of sin in Zacchaeus's life. And we know it was sin because he's confessing right here. The presence of sin in Zacchaeus's life was overcome by the presence of Christ. And if you'll notice, the, 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 the insane person is now sitting sane. Notice the woman who is sick, bleeding for 12 years, miserably, I'm sure, is now healed and made whole. Notice Jairus' daughter, who was literally dead. And I'm not talking about figuratively dead. Now, we're all at one point in our lives figuratively dead. But Jairus' daughter would encounter Christ, would be in the presence of Christ, and would be forever changed. And then we see Zacchaeus who's hitting a little closer to home, knowing that he's in sin and knowing the only way that he can overcome sin is by the presence of Christ. And he confesses, Lord, I've messed up. And Jesus recognizes and he says, Zacchaeus, salvation is your way now. It's coming your way. And he explains to him why he says that. He says in verse 10, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And by the way, every single one of us at one point in our life was lost. And I, I don't want to leave here tonight assuming that everyone is saved, because only Christ can bring about a change like that. So the demoniac is sane, the woman is healed, Jairus' daughter is giving life, and Zacchaeus was forever transformed. It's highly likely, uh, I believe, based on what I'm reading here, that when we get to heaven, we'll see Zacchaeus. And we'll be able to ask him, what was it like to be in the presence of Christ? And Zacchaeus will probably say, well, it changed my life. Look at me, look where I'm at. And what, a, what an incredible story tonight of the presence of Christ in, in these four people's lives. I have to ask tonight, ask you all as we close, let's be found in his presence tonight. It's the greatest present that you can have. If you're struggling with something tonight, no matter if it's big or small, if you're insane or not, if you feel spiritually dead or not, if you will take the time to be at the presence, in the presence of Christ at his feet, as a disciple would be, you'll too see the transformation that can happen in your lives. 
If you haven't been changed, perhaps you're not in his presence. Let's take time tonight to do that. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.